Messy Situations is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. If I was completely honest with him with what my life looked like throughout the week, it would be upsetting to him. So I was trying to take him into consideration. And also, I'm not going to give up, you know, 30s in San Francisco with abs. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's something to be said for that experience. That sounds like the title of your memoir. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Welcome back to Messy Situations. I'm your host, Kane Sarhan. And I'm your co-host, Michelle Promaleko. And we're so messy, I can't even start the episode properly. <laughs> what the fuck? Because your ADD has you looking somewhere else, eating, snacking, probably sending a text. I'm over Focus. here. Eyes over here. <laughs> I am doing multiple things. I'm starving. I haven't eaten all day. I'm eating like cheese and salami. I'm thirsty, so I'm drinking something. I am texting. I'm trying to convince Danny to like bring me home food from my favorite restaurant in Hell's Kitchen all the way to, to Brooklyn, which isn't... He's saying no. Um, like He's like, call Uber Eats. Like I'm not traveling 20 blocks out of my way because you want empanadas, you fat fuck. But It sounds like I need to know about this restaurant because I live a lot closer to Hell's Kitchen than you do. <laughs> oh my God, have you never been to Empanada Mama? No. Michelle. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I haven't lived. You haven't fucking lived. First off, I'm so convinced that they committed insurance fraud and burnt the original one down to get the money to build a bigger one. They have the best empanadas I've ever had in my entire life. I love it so much. When I first started dating Danny, he lived like a block away. And I'm pretty convinced the reason we're married today is because of the sex and the empanadas. Like that is what like... <laughs> fell in love in over empanadas. How romantic. <laughs> we probably had empanadas like four days a week when we first started dating. It was so fucking good. But wait, back to the focus story. I have the funniest fucking... So I was away this weekend in Italy. Um, I saw that on for, Instagram. I was very yeah, envious. It was an amazing trip. One of the best trips I've ever taken. Very short though. I was there for three and a half days. And we were at a friend's birthday party and the last night of the party is like a giant dance party and it goes until sunrise and it's super super fun and you know I'm usually like an old man and like to be asleep at like 11 o'clock it was so much fun and, and I was in it to win it and like you know gonna make it to sunrise but I was with a friend and we were dancing and he's like let's go get a drink and so we were like making our way to the bar but along the way I like ran into some person and started talking to them and they were like oh do you have like gum and I'm like oh yeah I do come with me to my bag so I we went to my bag and I got some gum and then like when we got over there we ran into another friend and they were like oh blah blah and they said something else and like so we started going that way and my friend who's like following me literally like goes Kane and I'm like what and he goes focus we're trying yeah. to get a drink You're like, we're trying to get to the bar we're trying to get a drink it was like zigzagging around I he's thought like, he went it. ahead and you just never showed <laughs> you no. ghosted him at the bar like I thought no. that's what you were gonna say no he was following me and he finally goes Kane focus I'm like oh yeah a drink and so I like turn around and like have to literally like turn on my blinders to make it to the bar because I just get so distracted so easily. Like, and I know I sometimes think that ADHD is just like one of those made up diseases like in America where like they don't have it anywhere else, but we just like love to prescribe people pills. But I truly, truly can't focus for 150 feet to walk from a dance floor to a bar. That is how distractible I am. I was actually reading this article yesterday about how parents are now getting diagnosed with ADHD 
simply because they're recognizing all of the symptoms in themselves that were never diagnosed when they were kids. And it's like years after their children have been diagnosed and medicated and they're seeing the changes in their kids and recognizing the symptoms and legitimately, not just a, you know, a manufactured illness, but legitimately seeing that they've suffered with these symptoms for their entire lives. So you can muscle through it. I mean, people do, it's uncomfortable and maybe not as productive or more productive maybe in your case, (laughs) given how much you do. Well, for me, it really was, I was ADHD my entire childhood. My parents are very hippie, very alternative medicine. Like we're not putting our kid on Ritalin. Like he does really well in school he seems to be functioning high yeah like he talks too much and yeah he like procrastinates but he's getting great grades and things are working out so like we're not putting him on drugs if we don't have to and then I got to college and I was like wait a minute someone told me I had ADHD my entire life one of my friends gave me one of their fucking Adderalls and I was like I'm going to the doctor and telling them I have ADHD and I rolled in there and was like yo I've had this for a long time. I really do have it. But really, I was just like, I want this miracle drug that'll allow me to do all-nighters and like get my shit done last minute. And that's how I became addicted to Adderall and was on 90 milligrams of Adderall by the time I was 25. I started at five milligrams. I was up to 90 milligrams of Adderall until I was 30, what, 29. And when I finally got off of it with Sarah and Rebecca, when we started working on the well and, and they actually helped me detox off of it, it was one of the worst fucking experiences of my life. But Oh my and God. now, you know, I take it very, 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 very sparingly. Like it is something that I use in like crisis situations because I was so brutally addicted to that shit that like I couldn't get out of bed without it. Well, hearing your story, I'm glad that I never took it recreationally or as a performance enhancing drug because I don't have ADHD. I don't think I had it as a kid. I don't need a prescription, but... I found out much later in life, I was completely naive to this as a magazine editor, that tons of people were taking it and have been forever as a performance enhancing drug, right? To get their jobs done and to like write an article or whatever. And I'm like, fucking hell, I've been doing this on my natural energy and focus for all these fucking decades. Like, can you imagine (laughs) what I could have accomplished (laughs) on some fucking Adderall? People literally fucking use it as a cheat code. But the thing is, there's a price to pay for all that shit, right? Like nothing comes absolutely, for free. And absolutely. It always comes down to drugs. <laughs> it always comes down Recreational, to drugs. Recreational, medical. Yeah. We love and hate drugs at the same time. But today's episode is about love and a little bit of loss and two men navigating a really messy situation to find each other again. And it's a story that I came across through a friendship and through a new friendship and was so inspired by it and thought it was so beautiful. I asked them to join us and and talk about it. And we are going to welcome them to the show and hear from them. It's our first dual guest episode. We have a a buy one, get one free today, which I'm very excited about. But we will talk to them and get going on our show today right after this break. (laughs) Welcome back to Messy Situations and a big welcome to our guests today live from San Antonio, Texas, Jorge and Chris. Hi, guys. Welcome. Hello. Hi. 
Um, you know, we've been bitching a lot in New York that it's, uh, you know, a balmy 98 and we're sweating our asses off. But I have a feeling you guys might have us beat out on the temperature down in San Antonio. I think we've had maybe three days under 100 degrees. So I don't feel bad for you. Oh, my God. But do you have like the garbage smell wafting down the street? That's my favorite part. The thing is, we bitch about that, but it's actually our fault. Like, it's like, it's like we could live anywhere else, but no, like, less about our garbage and, and more about Jorge and Chris's story. So, Jorge and Chris, I'd love to start with your story way back when, when you first met. When did you start dating and, and how did your relationship kick off? Well, it was 2013. I was in San Antonio and I was, I guess, looking to have some fun. So I logged on to a little well-known app called Grinder at the time. I think 2013. Never heard of it. <laughs> at the time it was fairly new. Anyways, I logged on and I see a set of abs that I was very excited by. Was it just a photo of his abs or was it his whole body and his face? <laughs> it was just abs. Yeah. I, I think maybe, maybe some Chris is like, yeah. Right, but no, no face. Michelle, this is, I don't know if you know this, but this is a phenomenon of Grindr called the headless torso. No, I wouldn't know this. Okay. I, well, you have so many gay friends. I'd assume you've been given a tutorial by now, but most people focus their Grindr profile on neck to waist. If that's their most marketable feature. Sometimes if you're a pretty face boy, it's all about the face. Sometimes if you're a big bottom, it might just be your butt. They don't really let you show, like, you know, bare, but, like, people focus there. People tend to, like, you know, people have foot fetishes. They might put their feet up there. Your package isn't allowed. They'll, they'll block that one. Oh, but even even clothed? It is, but, like, no one wants to see. Like, what's a bulge do for anyone? You know what I mean? But the headless right. torso oh is, is, is common. It is, like, especially... You know, you guys can't see Chris. We can. He's he's a very fit individual. So when you have a body that that warrants attraction, it is something that you usually highlight. Anyways. Yeah. I usually had just like a landscape of an ocean because that's <laughs> oh my... Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. I'm tempted to tell Chris to take off his shirt. <laughs> you should. I want to uh, see what Jorge nice. was seeing. <laughs> well, when I travel, I, I normally add my face to it, but I was traveling with a whole bunch of, there were coworkers that I didn't, I was worried they were going to turn on Grinder and then see their, their slutty coworker. Uh, Got space. it. So I was living in San Francisco, but I kept my San Francisco torso, no face pick. San Antonio is small, so I'm sure you like pretty, you recognized everyone's photo. There probably wasn't a ton of new inventory always. Oh, absolutely. And I had just moved downtown and he was living out on the outskirts of San Antonio. So it was like 25 miles. So I know you in New York, you don't get more than two blocks of profiles. Uh, here you get maybe even cities. But yeah, anyways, I saw I saw his profile and messaged him and he responded like a cunt. He was he was, he was very cunty towards me. I am a cunt, but... Apart from that, I was bored. I was out on a military base, and so I was bored, and I started doing this Twitter feed called Blocker. And it was just me being cunty to people on Grindr and taking a screenshot right before they blocked me. And so I was just saying snarky little things that I thought was funny and take a screenshot and post it on Twitter. Well, he had a really good 
witty comebacks to what That's I was saying. And so hilarious. I just, you were just in like, you were in like content creation mode, obviously not dating mode. I found that not a lot of guys were willing to drive a half hour out into a military base for a hookup. Cause then when they come pick me up, I can't bring them on base. So what do we, where do we go from there? We drive a half hour back to your place. So I wasn't getting a lot of people willing to meet up face to face. Just so, the desperate ones. <laughs> yes. So you're, I mean, rightfully so you're like, okay, no one's actually come out of here. I need some form of entertainment. I'm bored off my ass. I'm going to do this fun thing. Jorge isn't one to just take a bitchy comment laying down. So he dishes it back to you. Banter and entertainment is hard to come by, I think, in life. And it's really hard to come by on Grinder. So I can imagine like Jorge, I would be very intrigued and maybe even desperate enough to hop into the car and drive 30 minutes to go meet. So is, is that what you do, Jorge? You, like next day, that night, like how long does it take to you meet up? It was about maybe two weeks. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, no, we just kept chatting and then he went to New York and I had a cousin here. Uh, the conversation got deeper, I guess. And uh, we planned to meet up when he returned so two weeks later, we went on our first date, and I went to go pick up. And you were up. bantering the whole time, like the whole two weeks? Yes. That is some good banter to keep it going. But I agree with Kane. Like, that, that is what hooks you, because it's so rare that you have that kind of connection. And that's an aphrodisiac in its own but way. But wait, Jorge, I remember you telling me that on the day you met Chris, when the moment you saw him, and after two weeks of banter, felt an immediate connection, yeah? Absolutely, he walked. He was walking down the stairs. It was an apartment complex. He walked down the stairs and I saw him and I immediately thought to myself, he's out of my league. I'm, I, he's gonna look at me Aww. and turn around. I, I thought, oh damn. Jorge, you're underselling yourself. You're very handsome. He, he really is. I got in the car and I, I think the first thing I said was, oh, oh good, you're even more attractive than your, your picture. Because people get very creative with angles and filters. Yes. <laughs> but you live in different cities, right? I mean, you're there. How long are you in town, yes. Chris? Like, how long are you in San Antonio for? What's the long game here? Is this like a date or what? It was three months. And so I, I put the little addendum on it that, hey, this is just, we're having a good time, but there's an expiration on this. And this is before we met. I didn't want to waste his time. I said, I'm not moving from San Francisco, which I loved, to San Antonio, which it's not that I, it's not a great place. I was living in something that's not the best part of it. It's a military base. You're surrounded by nothingness. So in my mind, there was no option that I was going to leave my city for his city. So if you were fine with uh, dinners and hookups in for three months, then I am as well. Right. That first night, that dinner, he uh, he reiterates that. <laughs> I guess he saw it in my eyes that I was falling quickly. <laughs> we got kicked out of the restaurant because they closed maybe an hour before that. I had to drive back out of town to drop him off. And he's a geek. He likes Star Trek and Star Wars and, and whatnot. And when I dropped him off, he asked me if I wanted to go up and see Star Wars, who I, which I had never watched. And I still have not watched. So... <laughs> There wasn't a lot of, like, TV viewing happening. Mm-mm. mm, -mm, mm, -mm No. Nothing. And funny, I mean, I really, I didn't have the DVDs with me. I, I lied about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, who travels around oh. Star Trek DVDs? Um, what slide. a hook. Do you want to watch Star Trek? It worked. Yeah. Dude, it worked. <laughs> he literally just wanted to see your abs in real life, so I think it was... I think it was going to work either way. A day obviously goes on for three months. What happens at the end of the three-month assignment? Are you guys hooked and let's figure this out? Or are you like, it was great, nice to know you, you know, stay in touch? Like, how do we end the three months? 
I was sticking to my guns. Uh, he came to my graduation ceremony uh, where he met my mother, which things proceeded very <laughs> quickly for someone to meet my mother after three months. At the end of it, it was, this is goodbye. Thank you for coming to my ceremony. I, it was great to meet you. I will never forget you. Hug, some, some moist eyes. Yep. And then in my mind at that point, it was like, well, that's that. I, had, I met an amazing person that I will, I will cherish the time that we had together. But I need to get back to my life, my world. Right. And later that day, he connected in Atlanta and sent me a text and never <laughs> and stopped last texting me. <laughs> he quickly became my best friend. And so it just felt very natural, like, oh, this funny thing just happened. I need to. And I want to tell you. Yeah. 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 Right. So without even thinking about it, it, the conversation just kept going. And so, and is the conversation continuing, you say, as like friends? Like, is it like, we know we can't be together, but like, we're really good friends. We really like each other. Yeah. There was, I think it was more than friends. The the content was definitely more than friends. Oh, so we're sexting. Oh, yes. absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. A lot of ass and dick pics uh, yes. going back and forth. <laughs> got it, got it, got it, got it. Cool, cool. But there's no plan to see each other. There's no, like, we're official. There's no none of that. It's just this sort of loosey-goosey sex thing and friendship. Correct. And then a couple months later, he invites me out to Palm Springs for a white party. So I go to that. Uh, we have a great time, I thought. And then I get back home and I want to thank him and his mom because she put us up in a hotel and he tells me, this was the best uh, rejection line I've ever had. He said, you're a catch. I'm just not fishing at the moment. Oh. So Chris is putting up like barriers. Like he's he's like trying to draw a line. But Chris, are you trying to manage your expectations? Are you like trying to avoid some like blow up of a long distance thing? Or are you just like, hey, I'm not really fishing. Like I want to be single. I'm sure there's a mix. Most of it was trying to be prudent in that I'm now in San Francisco and my job is getting off the ground. I'm meeting a lot of people. There's a lot of sexual experiences. And Jorge is an, an emotional being. And I could see that if I was completely honest with him with what my life looked like throughout the week, it would be upsetting to him. So I was trying to take him into consideration. And also, I'm not going to give up, you know, 30s in San Francisco with abs. Uh, there's, there's something to be said for that experience. That sounds like the title of your memoir. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that went on for about four years, off and on. Four years? Four years? I didn't fucking know that. Four years? Four Seeing years each other of... how often? Every four months, I think. We'd take a trip or he'd come to San Francisco. Now, yeah. Do you guys and have boyfriends? Me... Like, are you seeing other people? Jorge, are you just pining away in San Antonio or are you having a good time too? I, I ran through the suitable men in San Antonio long ago at this point. <laughs> so uh, so you're travel, pining away? <laughs> pretty much. I mean, when he'd break up with somebody, he'd reach out like for a trip. When I was uh, available, I'd reach out to him for a trip and if it worked out, it worked out and it seemed to be every four months. Then at some point, I was out in Australia for Mardi Gras. At the same time, he was in Norway with his dad seeing the uh, the Northern Lights and he had some, I don't know, revelation. <laughs> had a spiritual awakening. The yeah, light I was, showed I was you in the way. Of, Look yeah. at the sky. <laughs> I was coming out of a rave slash orgy to a text <laughs> where he's telling me 
Uh, I'm finally in. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, let's let's hold off on that. I still have a week here before we get into this conversation. Oh my god, fucking you guys. guys. You've waited four fucking years and this like the the line you've been waiting for comes and you're like, sorry, I need another week. Absolutely. It was my first time that I ever tried Molly and I had a line of men waiting as well. So he could wait his turn now. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Like, it's a miracle this came together. I just want to say your timing hasn't been extraordinary. Okay. So a week later. Yeah. A week later, he starts planning his move. He retires from his government job. I was at a crossroads. My working dog was retiring and I had to make a decision. Do you go and get another dog? Do you dive in for another, you know, seven years or is this a good time to make a change in your life? And I knew I wanted a change. What I had been doing was fun, but it was a little vapid and it's not something that you can continue on forever. Just being a little hoe on the Castro, it gets old. So you've made a big adjustment. You've moved to San Antonio. A move like that can be stressful in general. It can put a lot of pressure on you on a new relationship. It can be extra stressful when you're also leaving behind a job and a career. So you're totally really starting fresh in a new place with a new person with a new career, it's a lot of change and, and I think a lot of newness to absorb. You know, we're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, I really wanna dive into what's it like after four and a half years of lusting and loving to kick off your relationship in a, in a new place together. So you moved to San Antonio. Do you move into like Jorge's place and, and you guys, you know, yes. start living together? Yes. The yes. first time I'd ever lived with somebody I was dating. Oof. And how's it go? Like how's, how's life in San Antonio start? As soon as he gets there, he throws half my clothes away and all my furniture. Yeah. It I, looked like a dorm oh room. Oh my God. And I had a very well curated little studio in San Francisco. So we brought all my stuff and it wasn't enough to fill his space, but it was a good starter pack. And then I felt if we just got rid of all of his like frat furniture, that would be a catalyst. It would be, it would incentivize us getting the right stuff in the right space. So it was a big, <laughs> it, was, it was a shock. It was a big challenge for him also. Just me coming in and be like, well, this is going, this is going. But you not only do you move in together, but you start building a life together, right? And, and really settling in. And, and what is sort of the first couple of years together in San Antonio look like? It's a lot of meeting his family and integrating into that. He, he's very close with his family and mine is very waspy. So we're not that involved in each other's lives. Uh, I'm very, I, I was very close to my mother who was a lesbian in Palm Springs, but apart from her, uh, definitely more distant with my siblings and uh, my father and cousins and whatnot, where he's just, oh, this is yeah, it's everyone my I've known in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, it's my niece's first day of school. Great. I have to be there, even though she's had nine of those. But Oh, my God. That, I'm that guy. His friends and family are, are great. I didn't have a problem with anybody, and I actually really enjoyed most everybody. So I feel like I lucked out there and that 
he came fully equipped with with all these extras, like here's some instant lifelong friends. It felt like I was just warmly welcomed into it. So I could, if there was some butting of heads, sure, that, that would have been more problematic, but that's one of the pitfalls that we luckily escaped. The aspect that we haven't addressed is I had anal tumors. It's probably uh, a result of HPV. And so I had to have a surgery to remove them and I'm the bottom in the relationship, and you can't have sex for long periods of time after the surgery. It's a long process for the scar to heal correctly. I had follow-up surgeries to get the scar tissue to come together right, and then another tumor formed, and so it just ran into a good four years, several months of not being able to have proper, not proper, but- Four years? <laughs> the anal intercourse. Wait, four that, years? Yeah. Four years. Yeah. Michelle's like shook it. No, I am because I didn't like this is where my brain went. When you said it takes a long time to heal, I'm thinking I'm thinking back to, you know, grinder culture and I'm like, what's a long time? Like six weeks, few months. I was not expecting you to say four years. Chris also on top of on top of that, I always believed in monogamy. Chris always said, I don't care what you do, just don't bring anything home. He would always say that. My response to that would be, that's not what I want. And then I started doing that because I wasn't getting it at home. I started doing that without addressing it or giving him a heads up of what was happening. I didn't admit it. And on top of that, I one of the individuals was an ex-partner of mine. Oh, that really oh. ups the ante. Yeah. In my mind, I'm thinking that we are, we're monogamous and I would... Uh, when the subject would be broached, I would bring up, you know, there's other options. You can get yours. But I was always told, no, that's not what I want my relationship to look like. That's not what my parents' relationship looked like. So in my mind, he's just not willing to uh, transition over to that type of relationship. So I said, all right, he must be okay with how things are. And this will hopefully someday resolve and we'll figure this all out. But, and I took it as he won't get mad if I do it. <laughs> because he says he's fine with it. In, in my head, uh, the former partner was, uh, it was safe. I trusted totally that Totally get that. Chris and I, since we're monogamous, we weren't on prep, and I knew that I could trust this one person. The further removed I get from that point, the more I realize how big of a fuck up so I So this was. blows up. How does it blow up? Or do you confess, or it gets found out, or what happens? I had, there were some instances where I thought, like, oh, maybe I don't know all the aspects of Jorge's life. We had a few little instances, but at that point, I feel vulnerable in that I've given up my life, my job, my friends, everything back, and I, I just feel at his mercy, and I'm afraid to pull on that thread. It's like, what if this all just comes unraveled if I ask him point blank, is this happening? And so I don't pull on the thread threat. I see the threat dangling and I don't pull on it until Halloween last year. I was in Houston and I left my Apple watch, watch here. My Apple Everyone, watch. it's but always it iMessage. It's always the iMessage. It's iMessage. always iMessage. Every single fucking so time. The watch was malfunctioning and it still thought it was on his wrist. It was vibrating with every text message and the grinder. So I'm eating dinner by myself in the kitchen and this little watch is just dancing across the table with grinder messages. And so he finds out, he reads my text, goes through everything. It was a whole weekend of scrolling. Oh through. my really God, I feel nauseous. Do a deep dive on an Apple Watch. I feel so <laughs> and sick. So you can watch videos on Apple Watch, I found out. So I'm watching like sex videos. I'm like- Not of me. 
not of me. And so I'm like going through, I'm getting the full scope, because it goes back a year too, and a half, two years? Too long. I need to write a okay. message to Apple about yeah. this. <laughs> Put a time, have an expiration date on your your texts and whatnot. So I'm scrolling through for the whole weekend. And you're not saying anything, the, the like you didn't, you're like, I'm gonna get all of the info. Oh my God, that's so painful. Yes. Not, Jorge, I'm not judging you. I know you didn't mean to hurt Chris, but Michelle, like. let me tell you what happens. I get back from Houston that following weekend, we go to New York and uh, we spend you the weekend there. You say it something a... the moment he walked in the fucking door? You're an inspiration. That is some You're restraint. You're savage. That's we had a scary. trip the next weekend? Yeah, the, the next, next weekend. weekend. My cousin is a UFC fighter and he was fighting at Madison Square Garden. So we went to the fight and uh, we, it was a great weekend. We had, yeah. we had such a fun weekend. We came back through the door. It was my best friend Sarah's birthday. We were gonna go out to dinner. He sits me down and said, I know you're fucking around on me. What's happening? So he confronts me. I admit to everything. I don't hold anything back because at the time in my head, you said it was okay. I didn't are know. Are you trying this was to not use right. that? Rationalize. Uh, yeah, are you using that as your yeah, defense or no? Honestly, I don't know. The, like I said, the further removed I, I, I am from the situation, I realize I was how more wrong No, it totally right? sounds time, to me like you've taken accountability now, which is huge because some people never do that. And I'm sure that's why you're still together. But um, but it must have been a very painful conversation. It was very difficult. And that dinner was even more difficult because my friend was sitting across the table from us with just, why is nobody talking? That night we get back and in conversation, he I ask him, so what, are we breaking up? He says he does not want to break up. The following day, we're, there's a Spurs game. I had invited my friend whose birthday is today. I'm not going to say his name because he's involved <laughs> in the story. Who was one of the individuals, I guess, during that time. And uh, I invited him to the game with me and Chris. And I guess that triggered Chris. So I knew who this individual was. I don't think he understood how much information I had gleaned from a watch. <laughs> but at that point, me, me and this friend was just like a text flirt. Nothing had happened yet, but it was definitely some... It was on its way. On its way. Absolutely. So I come back from the Spurs game and the three of us are hanging out and our friend leaves and he tells me that he's leaving me. I'd never expected those words to come out of his mouth. Yeah, dangling the hoe in front of him at a basketball game <laughs> was just too much. Like, he was like, all right, I'm done. Yeah, I had... No, not right away. He stuck around for about two months still. As I was setting my departure behind the scenes. Ugh. So I had purchased an Airstream... I had applied for a job in Palm Springs. I had told my friends in Palm Springs, I'm, I'm, I'm coming, but don't say anything. No one knows yet. So I was setting the stage for my grand departure. And the day my Airstream showed up is when I said, this is, this is it. I, I'm leaving you. And uh, I threw my stuff in it <laughs> and drove off into the sunset. And Jorge, are you just dis like wanting, like, I, I can't, what did you feel? Like, I can't even imagine. A lot of things. I mean, like, like I said, at the time, I didn't think I was completely in the wrong. I knew I should have probably had, I knew I should have had the conversation. I didn't. And I, I don't know, just destroyed my, my life was falling apart. So uh, the two months, you know, from the day he leaves until I meet you, are you guys like no communicado or are we still doing the whole we text so thing? We are, we are communicating because my mother who ad adored Jorge, she had brain cancer and she was not uh, responding and she was going to die imminently. And I didn't want him to 
not be able to say goodbye and go through all the process of letting someone go. He had already lost his mother. So I know this was gonna be hard for him as well. And I didn't hate him. I was upset with how things unfolded, but I would never want to hurt him, especially in, in such this permanent way of, if he missed my mother's passing, there's, you can't come right, back from totally. that. And so I was not gonna hold that over him. So I kept him apprised of what was happening. And as things got closer, I said, this is probably it. We're probably in the last couple of weeks. If you want to come say goodbye. So we were definitely still communicating, obviously not as boyfriends and not as uh, best friends, but as I guess kind of like family that mm -hmm. you're having a rift with. Mm -hmm. It's like, course, we were, yeah. I still, right. we still have to have this relationship because we're so close that you are my mother's son and you have to go through this process so that you have closure. His mother had some seizures and she was in the hospital. So I told him I'm on the next flight and he said no. And I said, look, this is what we do. And I flew out there and I was there for a week. And I guess it was okay at the beginning. At the end, I feel like I got on his nerves. I also, he was actually seeing somebody at the time over there and I was, I was and interfering with that. So then I came back and that's when I decided we can't talk anymore. And then that's when I met Kane right after that. Let me Jorge guess. fired up Grinder again. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Grinder We and, have a winner. It was the again. torso shot that did it for you again, didn't it? That's exactly what it was. I also liked the tattoo. I was very intrigued. But where this story gets very interesting and leads us to where we are today is Chris's mom isn't the only one who ends up sick in this story. And our story really takes a turn right around Jorge's birthday when he is celebrating with a bunch of friends in Austin, Texas, and starts not to feel so great. So backtrack a little bit. My birthday was on March 10th. Chris, the week before that, tells me that he has doctor's appointments in San Antonio. Oh, and yeah. I, I don't understand about that. why. Yeah. I had strategically scheduled my doctor's appointments. Around his birthday? In case he wanted me there. But I did I did give him a head, like, hey, I can move these around. If this is going to cause awkwardness or if you are seeing someone and it would not make for the best birthday experience for me to be there, I can easily move these. But you have to let me know. If you just say everything's fine, I'm going to show up for these and I'm going to take part in some birthday activities or we can move it. Cool. Your, your call. Cool, cool. That would have been cool if you said it like that, but it was <laughs> a lot more indirect and just, yeah, just... He's throwing weird signals everywhere and me, the emotional, oh my God, he's texting me. I'm that person, so I read much more into it. Uh, anyway, so he ends up coming the day before my birthday. We have this long conversation, a long overdue conversation, and we shared our positions on what had happened before because we had never actually had a conversation. He found out, didn't really give me a chance to explain. So we have that conversation. We ended on a very good note, talking about getting back, giving it another shot, but he still has a boyfriend in Palm Springs. I have plans to go see a concert with a friend. And then um, he leaves, he leaves the day of my birthday. That weekend I go to, I go to Austin, I start feeling sick. I just a fever, I thought it was COVID. I didn't know, I, I didn't know what happened. I took a bunch of tests. His mom is really not doing well. So I fly out to Palm Springs on Monday. I fly back Wednesday, I'm in the hospital for a week and they have no idea what's wrong with me. I'm in the ICU, they're running tests after tests. My blood pressure is dropping. I have a fever of 107 for about four straight days. And what ultimately can you 
tell us what was wrong? Nope. They have no idea. They said my liver enzymes were elevated, but they're still elevated. So I have no idea. And they have no idea. They, they called it an unknown viral, viral infection. infection. It's crazy. I'm still seeing, I'm still going to like liver doctors. There was one point where they said, if we don't get his blood pressure headed in the right direction in the next 30 minutes, he's going into the ICU. We're doing everything we know to do and he's headed in the wrong direction. And at that point, it was like, oh God, I could, I could lose this man. And I, I think that, that had a huge effect on me and everything we were going through with my mother and then to throw this on the mix, it's like, I can't lose her and you. You were the, the two key people in my life and most everybody loses their parent. That's the natural order of things. I had a great therapist and I was working through it rather well. I could not wrap my head around losing Jorge, uh, having no option to go back and, and fix things and see how our story ends. So yeah, it, it was a, a catalyst to get me in the right mindset of, I need to think more eternally than I have been. As I was getting better that last weekend I was in the hospital, my little sister came, she lives in Dallas, she came to San Antonio to reveal to us that she was pregnant with her first baby. At our house. At our house. Well, that time, at that at time, time, it was my house. <laughs> Chris stayed here at the house with my family while I was in the hospital. And he pulled my dad aside and he he didn't ask if he could marry me, but it was... I gave him a heads up that I, I had purchased Aww. rings and that I had the intention of proposing to Jorge in uh, about a month when we were taking a trip together. And I plan on integrating into the family and I hope that I'm welcomed. Aww. So it was more of a heads up than asking for a hand in marriage. How was that? Was that well received? Were they happy you guys were getting back together? It was. He gave me a hug and his words were, Jorge had made up his mind about you a long time ago. And then he gave me a hug. You know, I got the almost exact same words from Jorge when he said, I decided on Chris 10 years ago. And it just shows that not every mess has to end up messy. Some of them can end up beautiful and glorious and happy and, and wonderful. I'm so happy that you told us your story because it is really an inspiring one. It's a story about true love and about sometimes like separating for a while and gaining some perspective is the best thing for the long-term health of the relationship. So I wish you health in your relationship and health in your bodies. Normally we bless every mess, but you guys already have it together. So we're just gonna bless your union. And that's it. Thanks for being on Messy Situations. Thank you so much. Yes, it was thanks fun. for having us. Bye. Messy Situations is a production of Lola Media and is produced and engineered by Riley McCaskill with assistant producer Mesh Lakani.